Welcome to The Manly Catholic. In this podcast, we will inspire, challenge, and equip all men to become the men they were created to be. Join us as we journey together to become the best versions of ourselves and strive to change our communities one man at a time. Started. Hello, all. Welcome to another episode of The Manly Catholic. This is James, your host, and with me, we have Father Dom. Father Dom, how are you doing? Doing good. How are you? Doing well. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest with us. We have Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Deacon Harold, welcome to the Manly Catholic Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Yes, we are honored and blessed to have you on, and we'll we'll dive into your, your background in a little bit. But before we start, uh, Father Dom, do you mind leading us off in a word of prayer, please? Absolutely. Name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we give you great thanks and joy for all the gifts that you have given us, Lord, most especially the gift of this day. Lord, I ask a special spirit of blessing upon us as we enter into this podcast, Lord. Open up our hearts and our minds to your will. Fill us with counsel and wisdom and guidance. Above all, just send us your spirit of thanksgiving and gratitude. Mary, Mother of God, we ask that you cover us with your mantle of protection as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Well, for those of you out there, I'm sure in one sense or another, you've heard of Deacon Harold, uh, the dynamic deacon, you know, author, speaker, travels all over the world, uh, giving uh, amazing talks. I've heard a bunch of your talks on on YouTube, Deacon Harold. But for those who have not heard of, of Deacon Harold, uh, can you please just give us, our audience a bit of a, a background on yourself? Sure, sure. Uh, again, thank you so much for, for having me on the podcast today. Uh, so uh, I was born in Barbados in the West Indies and in, in the Southern Caribbean uh, in an island not too far off the coast of Venezuela. And we're first generation to come to the United States. So my mother was the first Catholic in our family. Uh, she was a Methodist who converted to the Catholic faith as a teenager. And my father, unfortunately, was not a man of faith uh, at all. <laughs> so when uh, we came to the United States, um, uh, and well, and when I was born in Barbados, I was the first, uh, uh, baptized Catholic. So my mom was the first Catholic. I was the first baptized as Catholic about, uh, three weeks after I was born. Uh, we came to the United States. It was extremely important to my mother that we have a Catholic education, me and my two brothers and, and my sister. And so, uh, Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, Catholic, uh, uh, college and graduate school, uh, all at wonderful Catholic institutions. And so uh, I remember when I was younger, loving going to mass. I know that sounds strange for kids today. There were, most of them say that they're bored at mass. But I remember, in fact, it was to the point where my mom would uh, sit me at the end of the pew and then she, by the aisle, and she would stand next to me. And on the other side of her, would be my brothers and my sister who are typical kids, you know, throwing Cheerios at each other and stuff. But she, she separated us because I was so laser focused on what was going on at the altar. I, that was about nine years old. And I remember thinking, I don't know exactly what's going on up there, but I really like it. 
And when I got old enough to serve mass, oh, I thought I died and went to heaven. I loved being on the altar. In fact, it's, 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 it's wonderful. God is so good. I still, when I stand in the back, uh, uh, pre, pre, uh, ready to process forward, uh, even today, uh, as a deacon, so many years later, I still get excited, just like I did when I was, when I was serving mass when I was, uh, you know, uh, 11 and 12 years old. And, um, I remember one time in particular, it was, uh, uh, so my Catholic who was across the street from the, from the church and several of us boys would, well, you know, we'd be uh, uh, late for school because we were serving mass. And I remember I had my, it was my turn to ring the bells. I had my hand on the bells. And I remember thinking as the priest was about to elevate the host, I could totally see myself doing that. You know, I, that was the first time I ever thought about a vocation to the priesthood. Um, and so I went to high school. I went to St. Benedict's prep in Newark, New Jersey, run by Benedictine monks. They had a come and see program, which I did all four years of high school. So I felt, okay, after that, I know God wants me to be a monk. So I went off to college, graduated, worked for a year, and then joined the monastery. And I thought, I'm going to die here. You know, I'm not, I'm not, this is, this is it. This is what God wants. Uh, my parents got divorced a number of years before that. And um, so when I was in the monastery, my mom got sick and almost died. And when my and when my dad left, I helped my mom take care of the family. And so the abbot gave me three months out of the monastery to take care of my mom until she was able to go back to work because my sister was still in high school and she had to eat and get to school and all that. And so I took care of all that. And um, I went to a wedding of a college friend of mine. And I at that wedding, I met the woman who ended up being my wife. So <laughs> God had another plan. <laughs> and she was from Oregon, which is how I got from New Jersey to mm. Oregon. Because normally someone from the East Coast would not even think about coming to Oregon because for us, Philadelphia is the West Coast. Right? <laughs> so um, so yeah. when I got to Oregon, discovered my vocation to the diaconate, um, that's kind of a longer story. But but suffice it to say, I was at Mass. I felt a very strong calling, uh, well, literally a calling by the Lord uh, toward a diaconate, um, entered the program at 30. So I was very young. Uh, in fact, I was the youngest deacon ever ordained in the history of the archdiocese. Mm-hmm. Um, I started the program, entered the program at 30, started the program at 31 because there was no uh, class that year. I had to wait for the next cohort to start. Five years of training, including a master's degree in theology, which I received from the University of Dallas, and then was ordained in November 23rd, 2002. And uh, during that time, I had a law enforcement career, uh, which I was very good at. And I became police chief at the University of Portland which I did for the last 11 years of my career before leaving all of that in 2012 and speaking and started speaking and writing full-time. I've been doing part-time up until that point, but I felt a very strong calling from God to leave and to, and to do it full-time, which I've been doing now since 2012. Mm. Hey man, just oh. an incredible story. I mean, since nine years old, Deacon, that that's incredible, that, that laser focus and you know, I was, tell, I was telling Father Dom, my my son, my oldest is four, and uh, he was baptizing his toys in the bathtub. So I go, hey, maybe he's on his way to being a priest one day as well. So you never know. They start him young. It's a sign. It's a sign, right? <laughs> but right. no, I mean, Deacon, clearly in the talks that you give, um, you have this fire that I think a lot of Catholics are, to be frank, are missing in their life, too. I mean, clearly you have a love for Jesus. And I don't mean by any means to, to undermine what 
the message that you bring, but you you bring a message that on the surface is very simple, right? You treat you teach about the gospel, you teach about Jesus, and you know, Father Dom, we talk about all the time that Jesus is is the epitome of what it means to be a man, right? He's the epitome of Catholic masculinity and in, in the flesh, right? And so, so so I guess tell me, you you've traveled all over the world, and you, know, you speak to men both both you know our age and, and younger as well, especially in the youth. Do you see a trend over the years that you've noticed that, you know, especially if it could be Catholics or non-Catholics as well, that there's something that's just that fire is missing in them? And if so, then then how do we how do we reclaim that and get their souls lit on fire again for Jesus? Thank you all so much for listening. I just want to take a brief moment to thank one of our sponsors, which is Mystic Monk Coffee. Now, Mystic Monk Coffee is... Thank you all so much for listening to another episode. I just want to take a brief pause and tell you about one of our sponsors. I want to thank Mystic Monk Coffee. For the best coffee for a great cause, we recommend Mystic Monk Coffee. Roasted with prayer by the Carmelite monks in Wyoming, Mystic Monk Coffee has the ultimate cup waiting for you. See more at mysticmonkcoffee.com. If you decide to support the podcast on our Patreon page at the $20 per month or above level, we will actually send you a free bag of Mystic Monk Monk Coffee of your choice and we'll even pay for shipping for you. As you all know, one of our missions with the podcast is to help support our priests as well. So what better way than to combine coffee with priesthood? I don't think there's a better combination, even better than peanut butter and jelly. And I love peanut butter. So go check out their website today, mysticmonkcoffee.com. You can also check out our website, support us on Patreon, and we'll send you that free bag of coffee. And that's enough of me chit-chatting. Let's get back to that amazing Manly Catholic episode. God bless. Yeah, so uh, let's just talk about the fire for a second. Um, When people hear me speak, they say, oh, man, you're a convert. Well, I'm not a convert. I've I've never been Protestant. I've been Catholic my entire life. Uh, but they but but they say you sound like a, a Baptist preacher. No, I sound like a Catholic who's in love with Jesus. That's what I sound like. Uh, so where did that style develop? I think part of it was because uh, I was teaching a class at the police academy. I was teaching a class called Contemporary Threat Assessment Methodology. I was teaching police officers or first responders how to identify and respond to threats of terrorism. And if it's one thing you know about cops, they hate sitting in class. You know, so I'm, so here I am. I'm, I'm teaching this class, teaching techniques that are literally going to save lives. And I thought, how do I get this material across in a way that's interesting and engaging, but yet still very informative? And so I think my style developed from, you know, what if I were sitting out there? How would I want to hear this information? How would I, how would I want to receive this knowledge? And so I think the Lord took that style and uh, you know, uh, connected it with my theological education. And then, you know, that's where the, the, the fire and the passion comes from. I just, I just love what I do because it's the, the truth, um, sets you on fire. You know, the, the truth sets you free. Jesus says to do what? To become the person who God created you to be. And yes, I've been to 31 countries around the world. Um, and I've mm-hmm. spoken to men from different, uh, uh, nationalities, uh, and groups all over the world. I, I, uh, I was just in Australia a few months ago and I spoke to a group of Croatian men, um, uh, which was, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, 
And I just been to uh, Eastern Europe. You know, I've been to Croatia and Dubrovnik and, and, and that area. So to speak to those men was, was absolutely fantastic. And, but what I'm seeing is the same kind of pattern. No matter where I'm speaking to men with the United States or outside the United States, there's, there's a kind of a commonality that's happening with men. You know, uh, St. Peter says that the devil is like a, a roaring lion prowling around looking for souls, right, to destroy. And, and that's what's happening with men. This, the, the devil knows that in order to break a man down, you have to attack the mind and the heart because he knows where body and soul composites. And so he has to attack both the mind and the heart. So he's attacking the mind uh, with this uh, moral relativism. Right with this, um, the culture where truth is whatever I decided to be. We even have cultural affirmations for that. Right, that may be true for you. That's not true for me. That may be your truth. That's not my truth. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, and so on. And of course, with the cancel culture and the uh, uh, and the, the redefinition, so so called redefinition of marriage and gender and all these other things, is really planting the seeds of doubt and confusion in the mind of many men because we're so comfortable with the mantra we're receiving from the culture, we've become uncomfortable with the teachings of Jesus Christ in our own Catholic faith, because it seems like a juggernaut, this overwhelming force, like this Goliath is raining upon us. And, and, you know, if we, if we, you know, speak out against that, then we're in, we're in the, the, the minority, right? And, and a lot of men don't want to be in that position. The second thing that's being attacked is the heart, right? Pornography especially human trafficking, um, uh, sins against, other sins against the flesh, gluttony, and those kind of laziness, lethargy in, in our spiritual life, not, not willing to pray. You, you can, a man can tell you the name of every person on his favorite football team, but can't tell you the Ten Commandments. You know, uh, a man that's not leading his family to heaven by not, uh, you know, uh, being the priest in the home, you know, and leading that family in prayer uh, uh, and being that witness of, of that, the fatherly love of God in that home. When men don't do that, then they wonder why kids leave the church. You know, they wonder why we're, we're living in a culture that's completely lost its mind. You know, we need men to step up and continue to lead. And, and I see that struggle, again, not just the United States, but, but everywhere around the world, happening, of course, in different ways. And, and, and you know, the only difference I see from what I just said is in countries like uh, 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 on the continent of Africa, where the additional piece is being added, where Christian, particularly men, but all Christians are being persecuted for their faith and dying rather than denying Jesus. They're dying mm -hmm. rather than deny Jesus. So you put all that together, you have a recipe that Satan is using to really uh, to, to destroy the hearts of men, the minds of the hearts of men, so they become not followers of Christ, but followers of the voice of the culture. Yeah, I think too, Deacon, you gosh, touched on so many good points there, but we, we have these figures too, like, like you know, the, the Andrew Tates of the world and, you know, Jordan Peterson. And there's so many young men that are flocking to these guys. And it's clearly men are searching for this, right? And obviously we know that as Catholics, you know, the Catholic Church has all the answers that they're searching for. But there's a reason these men especially these young men are being drawn to these figures because they're actually giving them a sense of purpose and a sense of direction. 
you know, because like you mentioned, some of these, so many of men, not only young men, but even just men in their middle age too, they're just lost. It's like, what is my purpose? You know, and these, these figures have seemed to identify that. And I, I, I li- actually today I was listening to one of the, your talks that you gave and you talked about in Genesis, the roles that add or that God assigned Adam to till and uh, what was it? Oh gosh. To I'm, keep. Yeah. Yes, thank you. To kill and to keep. And then you mentioned it because in English, the English translation doesn't really give it justice. So I, I really wanted you to dive into that because that blew my mind the way you, you broke that down into the, the Hebrew, the wording that was used and the actual purpose that God assigned Adam to do. Because we think, oh, yeah, to serve, to, to, to till and to keep. OK, what does that actually mean? We just kind of skip over it. But no, when you broke that down, that was really profound for me as well. Do you mind touching on that a little bit for our listeners as well? Yeah, sure. And the Greek and Hebrew is just something, I mean, I, we, I learned that in graduate school, you know, uh, studying theology at that level, you know, you learn the biblical languages, but the word uh, till is abad in Hebrew. It means a work that's in the form of service and to keep is shamar means to protect and defend. So what God's doing, he's putting man into the garden and he's giving him his mission, his purpose, his vocation, and his calling serve, protect, and defend everything I am entrusting to you. Th- th- that's what God is doing there. See, Hebrew is a very visual language. You know, um, one word just doesn't mean one thing. You know, it's, it's a very rich, very deep language. And so, uh, so the, if, you, if you read it in English, it's really not getting the sense, uh, the, particularly the spiritual sense of what God is doing there. So the, his, his, the man's job is to serve protect and defend. Now, how does that work within the life of God? Um, just make it a, a little bit deep, but I'll, I'll, I'll try my best to explain this. So, uh, and I bring this up because women often ask, well, where am I in the Trinity? You know, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, so where am I in there? And, and some liberal theologians will say, well, the, the woman is the Holy Spirit. Well, that's impossible because um, when we see in Luke's gospel where, where the Blessed Virgin Mary was overshadowed, episkiazo in Greek, she was overshadowed by the, the Holy Spirit, which is the, actually the, the parallel is in uh, the book of Exodus, in, in, book of Exodus, the Shekinah, the, the glory cloud that, that hovered and uh, overshadowed the Ark of the Covenant. It's the same word for the, the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary, and she became pregnant, right? So, duh. So... But the, the, the piece is this, but in Genesis also says that we are made in the image and likeness of God, male and female, he created them. So God doesn't have sex, doesn't have, God doesn't have gender, God is God. But these two beautiful aspects of God, which I think reflect the inner life of God and the outer life of God. So the church uses fancy language, theological language for describing this inner life of God. It's called the circumcision or in, in the Eastern Church, divine perichoresis. All that means is the relationship with between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, for example, in John's Gospel, where, where Jesus says, the Father and I are one. Well, yes, they share the one same divine nature, but they're not the same person. There's three different persons within the one God. Uh, so, but But yet the Father... Uh, is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father, and the love between the Father and the Son that generate the Holy Spirit, who give love, life, intimacy, communion back to the Father and the Son. That beautiful relationship of love and life and intimacy and communion, I think, you know, and, and um, that the Jewish people would call that God's heart, Leb in Hebrew, God's heart. That's the seat of the will. 
And God pulled from his heart, if you will, in order to create woman. Right. Because, look, women are very interior. They're in touch with their emotions more so than men. I'm not saying all, you know, men are not in touch with their emotions. But in general, women are much more in touch with their emotions. They're much more feeling. They're much more interior. Um, They're much more emotional. Their reproductive organs are on the inside of their body. So they're designed to receive. huh? They're designed to be receptors, that beautiful inner life of God. In fact, I would say the woman is the very heart of God's love. Even the secular culture recognizes this fact. The woman is the heart of the home. She's the heart of the family, right? Meanwhile, the man, I think, represents the outer life of God, what's called the oikoinomia in Greek, or the workings of God. So God has this beautiful inner life, but there's also this outer life of God. How does God interact within within humanity, within within human uh, within human culture? And that's when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God enters into the human experience, enters into human history. Uh, uh, the, the apex, the high point of that, is in the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who's who came to what serve protect and defend, right? And he had to die because death is the worst effect of sin. And he had to, to sacrifice his life and to die to show that even the worst effect of sin, this complete separation of God forever is more powerful than God's love. And it was a man, Jesus Christ, the, the, the son of God, who led the way for us and is therefore the archetype and the model of how we are supposed to live as, as men of God. We're supposed to live our life from the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul, I preach Christ and Christ crucified. I want to know nothing, Paul says, except the cross of Jesus Christ. And of course, he says uh, I, in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the model for how we're supposed to serve, protect, and defend it. And Paul drives that home very beautifully in Ephesians chapter 5. Deacon, uh, when we're talking, when we're looking at Adam in the garden, you know, we're looking at how he, he, he serves, he protects, uh, he defends. Um, how can, how can we relate, um, husbands more in a more deeper way towards Adam? When you touched on it briefly, when you said, you know, priests of their domestic church and, um, I'm hearing priests use this language more and more. I've, I've used it for a very long time, uh, especially when, you know, I read read your book, Behold the Man. I really started embracing that. And I seen you speak here in Grand Rapids in 2018 at a CAFA men's conference. Um, and actually in the book, you put First uh, Kings chapter two, verses one through five, be strong and be a man. Right. Um, but but you talked about the, the the man being the priest of his domestic church. How does that relate to Adam, and, and and how can how can we how can we create that that desire for for men to to want to follow that example? So, uh, his job was to serve, protect, and defend. Right. So so he's the uh, inaugural priest, if you will. And remember, the priesthood is familial. Well, okay. Well, there were two types of priests after what happened at the uh, at Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, and he, Moses came down and broke the Ten Commandments, and then you know who's going to follow the Lord, and then that's the rise of the of the Levitical priesthood, right? The the high priest, the priests, and the the Levites who were the deacons, right? So, but but um, but initial, and but Christ came to restore the priesthood as it was originally intended to be familial. Right, so you have the the high priest is like the grandfather, the priest is the father, and then uh, the the deacons were the sons. But it was is all the family because originally you had to be Kohen, 
you had to be uh, a son in order to be a priest. Right. And so, so the idea initially is that Adam is, is the priest. He's the one who, who gives his life and dies, but he has to have someone to do that with. Right. And so, uh, God brought all the animals to him and he said, uh, amongst those animals, it was not one, uh, that was compatible with him. Right. It was not a helper fit for him. So God wanted to create this, uh, in Hebrews, a zer connecto. It's actually help mate. It's a compound word, a zer connecto. And it's interesting, ezer, when you see that word used in, in, in out throughout the Old Testament, it means help. And there's other words in Hebrew for help. But the zer is specific in the fact that it's the it, whenever they use that word, it's help that comes from either God or a king. So it's help that comes from above, right? So God wants to provide something, someone with the man he can be in relationship with. Um, that, but that help comes from God. The help comes from above. And wh- how do would he create a woman, right? Who came from his side, right? Beautiful. Now think about this for look at this analogy here. So, so the bride comes forth from the side of the bridegroom. Now, why did he come? Why did she come from his side, right? And the ezer connecto means someone who stands opposite or parallel to you, who helps, aids, assists, surrounds protects and defends in battle. So God wanted to create a battle partner for the man. The battle is going to be against sin and death. They fight together. And uh, so he, he creates from a side because you would think, well, if I'm going to create this battle partner to fight against the force of sin and death, let me use a big bone like a femur or a tibia or a fibula or, some, or something big. But he uses a rib. Actually, <laughs> again, Hebrew, the word rib is actually not there in Hebrew. In English, it says rib. But um, in, in Hebrew, it's Selah. Again, Selah has different meanings. For example, in the Psalms, in the um, uh, in the prescripts of the Psalms, you often see the word Selah in there. But the way Selah is being used here, it means side, like literally the, the side. Um, so it literally says he took his side and created her. The reason why we have rib in English, because in English, side can mean a lot of different things, right? Left side, right side, side of fries, right? It can mean a lot of things. Um, but so they wanted to make the, the very clear in English that when he said side, it meant rib, the middle, right? It's not from above. It's not from, so she's greater than him. It's not from below. She's less than him. She comes from a side of show. She's equal to him, equal in dignity before God, but he's still the head. Why? Because headship and leadership and authority, the priesthood is rooted in service, right? He, the reason why a man is the head of the family, the priest is the head of his parish, um, uh, the Pope on earth is the head of the church, is because he's the, he's the chief servant of his bride, not the boss, but the servant. Jesus gives us the model. I have not come to be served, but to serve. The greatest among you is the least, is the servant of all. That's the model for how we're supposed to lead and how we're supposed to serve. And that's where the, 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 the very root of the priesthood comes from. Because what's the priest doing at Mass? He's, he's there offering the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, both in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, but also he's leading the people in prayer before God, right? Uh, so it's, it's a beautiful relationship of both and in the priesthood represented in that male. Why? Because he's to serve, protect, and defend, giving love and life communion to bribe the church so that the church can give life uh, and, and union back to Christ himself, which is going to be consummated in, in Revelation 19, verse 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. 
So at the holy sacrifice of the mass, Jesus did his part. He died. He rose from the dead. He's willing to give himself to us. And then the the relationship of, of covenant, we give ourselves to him. Right in that sacrifice, we bring ourselves. We bring everything thing that we are. If again, if we're in a the right uh, disposition to receive, if we're in a state of grace, then then we are ready to receive the Lord. And then we're supposed to go out and be Eucharist to the world to share that witness of God's love with every single person that we meet. And we are the ones that are supposed to be, particularly as men, the 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 um, examples, the exemplars of how that's supposed to look within the culture. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I want to go back to the garden because, you know, I know Father Dom talks about this all the time. And the more I, I dive into this, it always goes back to the garden. So, I mean, we talked about this already. One of his, Adam's missions was to defend. Obviously, at the fall, Adam did not defend Eve. And, you know, I know you talk about the armor of God, which I, I want to get to as well. Uh, in a little bit, especially for us as men, but let, let's talk about what what actually happened there, because um, I think there's a lot of kind of misconceptions of what actually happened, where like Adam wasn't there, and you know Eve went up to him later and was like, "Hey, look what I got," but no, like Adam was actually there during this whole interaction with the serpent and Eve. So can you can you expand on that that scenario a little bit and, and really dive deep into the theological significance of what actually happened and how Adam actually failed? to fulfill one of his duties that God assigned him to do. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode. I just want to take a quick break to thank one of our sponsors, which is Exodus 90. Now, I know many of you have heard of this program before, Exodus 90. Most of you think of the really cold showers, but it is so much more than that. It is a program that has helped thousands of men throughout the the world. It works on your discipline, not only spiritually, but also physically, which includes the cold showers, but also includes increasing your prayer time, encouraging you to do a holy hour of prayer every day, and they walk you through how to do that. But it has given so many men so much more freedom, not only away from their phone, but also more freedom with their children and their spouses as well. I cannot recommend this program enough. I am currently, at the time of this recording, in the middle of St. Michael's Lent, but I've also done Exodus 90 in the past. I plan on doing it again in the future. Uh, right now, you can have a, get a seven-day free trial with their app. Their app is incredible. Not only do they have Exodus 90, but they also have other programs that you can do as well, like I mentioned, the St. Michael's Lent. Uh, you can do, uh, like I said, seven-day free trial, and then you can go $10 a month or $90 for the full year, which is uh, saving 25% on the app. Cannot recommend this program enough. I will leave a link in the show notes for you guys to download the app and also check out their website. They have so much great content coming up, blog posts, social media content, everything like that. Make sure you guys check out Exodus 90. All right, now let's get back to that episode. Yeah, so let's just uh, just uh, finish up a quick exegesis on Genesis 2 t- so we can understand Genesis 3 even better. So so he creates the the, the woman out of the the side, out of the rib from Adam, and he he brings her to him. The father brings her to and we we recognize this as Catholics in the wedding, right? Doesn't the father walk the bride up and give her to her the man who's going to be her husband? In just a few minutes, right? So the the idea of God the Father giving his the greatest of all his creation. That's what a woman is, by the way. She's the greatest of all God's creation. She's the high point. She's the pinnacle. 
Why? Because she's a life giver and a life bearer. Huh? That that's the whole key. What is he serving, protecting, defending? Life. He's a her. There was a priest of serving, protecting, defending the church, the bride of Christ. Right? It's a beautiful analogy. And look and look at the side. The, so the the woman comes forth from the side of even. What's that an archetype of? The crucifixion, Calvary. Jesus is on the cross, right? He's in he's in the, the what they call the tatter de ma, the sleep of death. Because Jesus always refers to death as sleep, by the way. Um remember um uh in, in Genesis 2, it says he put him into a deep sleep, it's tatter de ma. That means a deep sleep without consciousness or dreams. And on the cross, Jesus is in the sleep of death. Remember, he went to raise a little 12-year-old girl, Talitakum, little girl mm-hmm. arise. Because he he thought referred to death as sleep. When he was his best friend Lazarus died, he said, Let us go wake our brother, right? Because he was only asleep. So while Jesus is in the terra de sleep of death, Longinus spears him in the side, and what comes out? Blood and water. Right? St. John Chrysostom and other fathers of the church will say, Blood for the Eucharist, water for the sacrament of baptism. The church is born from the side of Christ. The bride comes forth from the side of the bridegroom on the cross, right? And, and look at that beautiful parallel of Genesis 2. The woman comes from the side of her of her husband, and the church comes from the side of her husband, Christ, who for which the priest stands in the person of Christ at the altar and the holy sacrifice of the mass, and in the gift of his life to Christ's bride, the church. So it's no different. The fatherhood, yes, there's a ministerial priesthood, fatherhood, and there's a biological, right? But they're they're both the same. Because they're both pointing us toward the ultimate priesthood. There's two different ways of getting there, you know. Um, and, and then it says, and then it says, um, therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. Now, the word there in Hebrew is dalbak. It means literally to pursue as to overtake. So he just doesn't cleave to her; he pursues her. Why? In, in a sense, again, and just by only by analogy using earthly language, but in a sense, he pursues she who in an earthly way completes him and perfects him and perfectly compliments him. And when he reaches her, what is what he's supposed to do? Put her behind him and say, if you want to get to her, you have to come through me. Right? Hmm. That was his job. But then what happens in Genesis 3? The devil shows up, and we know from from Revelation 12, he's a fallen angel, and it's very clear that after he was defeated by Michael the Archangel, what's interesting, I think devil, the, Satan was a higher angel than Michael, um, the, the higher angel than the Archangel because of his name, Lucifer, which means light bearer. So right. he was probably a cherubim or a seraphim. We know where there's nine, nine high, uh, uh, hierarchies of angels, and the ones that, close surface, uh, clo- uh, that serve closest to the throne of God are the cherubim and the seraphim. So the archangels are lower, but yet it was Michael and the other archangels who defeated uh, Satan. And it says in, Gen- in Revelation 12 that they were cast out, exorkizo in Greek. That's where we get the word exorcism comes from. They were cast out. Exorkizo means to cast out. And where, th- where they were cast out to? Earth, it says, mm-hmm. and they're still here. So now we have the, the devil. What, what's his whole job? Is to, even to this very day, to destroy covenant relationship with God. And what's the best way for him to do that? By destroying the family. There's, 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 there's no um, 
there's no uh, coincidence that all the attacks we're seeing, again, the culture today are family-based. Marriage, gender, the roles of husbands and fathers and mothers. You see groups like, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement, which their whole agenda is to destroy the nuclear family, right? This is cisgender privilege and all these foolish things that are happening in our culture are attacks of contraception, abortion, are attacks against the family. It is satanic. It is from the devil himself because he's trying to do the same thing he did in the garden was to destroy covenant relationship with God. And that's why he goes after the woman first. He goes after the one who's the greatest of all God's creation. Why? Because she's a life giver and a life bearer. Because in her very bodily potential, she can she can share in the life-giving power and intimacy with God in a way that no man can even imagine. Even if a woman never has a child, she becomes a nun. By the very nature of how God created her, she's a life giver and a life bearer because she's built to receive life, love, intimacy, and communion from God. That's why the devil goes after her first in the garden. And he lies to her. He asks her questions that confuse her uh, because he wants to plant the seed of confusion and doubt. And when that, when that happened, what should her husband have done? Remember, his job was to Daubach, to pursue as to overtake and then put her behind him. He didn't do that because he was listening. He was lulled into complacency by the temptations of the devil himself. Remember the temptation. You will be like God. You don't need God. You're your own God. huh? Now, now it says in Genesis 3 that when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was a light to the eyes, it was desired to make one wise, she took of his fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband, and he ate, period. Now, it, now in, in the Greek, I mean, sorry, in the Hebrew, it doesn't say that he was there, right? In fact, in the, um, in the English translation, the, new, the NAB, New American Bible, it adds who was with her. Right, it says she gave some to her husband who was with her. It doesn't say that in the Hebrew. So then how do we know that he was actually there? Right? So if I were to say, hey, you, who am I talking to? I could be talking to you, or I could be talking to both of you, you and father, right? The collective you, right? Because in English, it's the same word. In other languages, it's a different word for the different use. So, for example, in Spanish, if I say two, that's you individual. If I say ustedes, that's you, all of you. Same thing in Hebrew, where it says you, in Genesis 3, you will not die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will open, you will be like God. It's plural in Hebrew. That means he's talking to both of them. Yes, he's addressing the woman. Because it says clearly that he's talking to the woman, but he was right there because it's in the plural. He was right there. Instead of serving, protecting, and defending, which he should have done, right? What happens? He allows that to happen. That's why it says uh, in the exalted, right, that we sing every uh, Easter vigil, it says, Felix culpa, oh, happy fault. But it's always Adam's fault. It's the sin of Adam. Right? Why? Well, it's Eve's fault. No, it's not Eve's fault. He was the one that was put there to serve, protect, and defend. When she took the fruit of the tree, what he should have done was like, no, put that back, throw that away. You know, we we have to follow God, not not the, the, the our own desires and temptations to, to to set to set ourselves apart from God. You know, but no, 
it sounded good to him too. Now notice this. It wasn't till they both ate that they both fell, right? Verse seven Hmm. says, then the eyes of both were opened. So it wasn't like she ate, then she fell, then she went and found her husband and used her feminine wiles to, to, uh, to deceive him and to, you know, to, uh, and to lure him into sin, you know, and seduce him. No, she ate, then he ate, then they both fell. Why? Because they were one flesh. And, and that's, again, that pattern has repeated itself over and over again. When we men don't stand up to serve, protect, and defend. And this, you, you mentioned, Father, 1 Kings chapter 2. This is what David tried to do. There's Solomon. David is dying. His son Solomon's before him. He says, be strong and show yourself a man. But he goes on to say how he's supposed to be. Follow, you know, follow the Lord's ways, the Lord's commandments, the Lord's ordinances, the Lord's statutes. You know, as they as they come to us in the in the book of the law, it goes. If you do all of these things, you there will not fail you, a man, on the throne of Israel. Whenever we don't follow God and we follow the thinking and the ways of the culture, we will fail as men, and that's what we've been seeing in our culture today. Hmm. That was no, a lot there. Talking... Yeah, I mean <laughs> awesome. it's. I mean, talk about the fall, and then you you mentioned too, Deacon. The uh, obviously Satan when he fell. You know the original battle with Saint Michael, and then the exorcism. You know the the same word is used for for exorcism. And I kind of want to segue into that. You know because I know you talk about the armor of God even in your book. You have a whole chapter on the armor of God, and so I really want because obviously you talk to any exorcist. I'm sure you've seen it too with all your travels. The rise of Satanism of occultism exorcisms themselves are they're just skyrocketing which is it's sad to to have to say that but it's it's very true and so for for men out there especially in our culture who especially in the west um in the united states in particular where you know the 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 rise of you know non-religious or spiritual but not religious people is is at an all-time high you know, where there seems to be this, you know, God, it might be there, but it's it's almost like an indifference more so than anything else, which I think is kind of worse than just being flat out atheist because they're just like, yeah, you know, whatever. But anyways, beyond all that, you know, the, with the rise of everything that's going on, how can men, you know, especially listening to this podcast, you know, who have maybe a family um, like me, I'm a father, husband and father and father Dom's obviously ordained and you're you are a husband and a deacon and a father as well. How can we arm ourselves in this this battle, whether we want to believe it or not? It's happening every single day. Satan is a prowling lion, like you mentioned earlier in the in the show. He's he's trying to devour us, and he's coming after our families and our children. For those of us who are married and have kids, and we are the first line of defense. And sadly, just like Adam did, we are not pursuing the woman in our family and putting them behind us and saying, "Get behind me, I will protect you." So how can us? How can we as men protect our women and our children and for father too, uh, all of his parishioners as well? Well, remember, you, you said something that was important. Where the, the men are the first line of defense, the fathers. No different for Father Dom and the other priests in the parish. Right. They are the first line of defense uh, against the, 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 the cultures trying to destroy Christ's bride, the church. So he, he has to preach. He has to live his priesthood. He has to be a, a, a strong devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. I mean, all, all of that has to be in place in order for him to be effective husband and father 
in, in the Parrish family. It's again no different than than you or I trying to protect our our, our physical biological children. But let me just make a quick point about uh, the the devil thing. You're absolutely right. The, the, uh, I talk to exorcists quite often. And that, in fact, they said there's a shortage of exorcists now and the rise of actual possessions, not just, you know, a depression or oppression or some other thing, but the actual possession things are definitely going up. And, and we see a cultural interest in this, too. Look how many movies are coming out about possession, demon possession or possession by Satan himself. Right. You have the Pope's exorcist. You have, I mean, all these movies, you have that. Uh, they're redoing the exorcist, the original exorcist from the 1970s. They're doing Mm -hmm. another version of that movie, which, which someone just told me the other day is going to be coming out soon. Um, there was, uh, what's that one uh, that, um, all the, uh, Father Mitch Paquin and other great Catholics saying it's very, very well done. Um, I haven't seen it yet because nefarious. Nefarious, right? Because I, the only yes. things I ever see are on planes, right? Because I travel like, <laughs> 250,000 miles a year. So I'm on planes all the time. So when it comes out on the plane, I'll see it. Um, but, but see, there's, there's even this cultural interest in this phenomenon. And the things we have to be careful of is not like the, in, in most movies where you're walking down the street, the devil jumps in you. That's not how it works. You have to invite and give permission for the demons to enter your life. How do they do that? Seances, right? Tarot cards. Um, pornography, right? De- Again, not just Deacon Harold. This is what the exorcists are telling me, how, how the, the demons make their way into your life. Uh, you know, Charlie, Charlie, Bloody Mary, all these supposed games, Ouija boards, right? All these games that, that, um, that the uh, young people think are harmless. No, you're inviting evil to come into your life and they will come because you're inviting them to, you're asking them to. That's dangerous. That's very, very dangerous. So that's something we need to make sure that we're speaking to our young people, particularly uh, uh, speak out, speak boldly uh, so that they don't be, uh, 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 open themselves to these kind of, of evil forces. But how do we protect ourselves? Okay, so we have to do two things, right? The devil's trying to destroy our minds and our hearts. We have to make sure we're doing things to strengthen our minds and our hearts, right? So, and And what I do in the book is the very last chapter of the book, um, it's based on Ephesians chapter six, where Saint Paul, where Paul talks about the armor of God. Now remember, Paul was a Roman citizen, so he does this beautiful analogy where he takes a a piece of each of a Roman soldier's uh, uh, uniform and uh, and and applies a spiritual attribute to it, right? So he talks about um, girding your loins, right? So. We've, we've heard that expression so many times in the scripture. You, a man girds his loins. So what does that mean? That's how a man prepared for battle. So when a man is about to fight, you know, back then they wore those long tunics and you can't fight in that because you trip over yourself, right? Uh, so what they do is they, they would, um, pull the tunic up, put the excess tunic between their legs and tie it around, cinch it around their waist. And then their legs will be free because now their loins were girt. And they were and they were ready for battle, you know. Um, so Paul says we have to gird our loins. How do we gird our loins? Um, by being men of prayer, right? It's prayer that prepares us for the battle, you know. And we have to become men of prayer, and that's what a priest does. A priest's job is to offer sacrifice, and he offers that sacrifice through prayer. We must first and foremost be men of prayer. And a lot of men have a hard time praying. 
right? So, so uh, one of the things that we did, I'm part of the uh, Catholic Men's Leadership Alliance. We have a, a wonderful initiative called HeroicMen.com. Father Larry Richards and I serve as spiritual directors for this, for this men's organization. It's, it's HeroicMen.com is the best resources for men, Catholic men in the world. I mean, I'm, I'm not just saying it because I'm on the board. I mean, go look for yourself. Incredible, incredible resources for men. One of the things that we did was we put together a prayer book for men, you know, just so we take all the excuses away. Well, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. I don't know. Well, we, we've got, we've got the basis covered from the Our Father, Hail Mary, all the way up to the prayers of devotion to St. Joseph. We got everything covered and it's free. It's free. You can download it and, and, and you can uh, begin to boast your life as a man of prayer by, if you don't know what to pray, we've got you covered, right? But you have to pray. Now, um, uh, what are the excuses I hear why men don't pray in their own homes with their wives? What the, what are the excuses I hear? There's three. Number one, I don't have time. Oh, you don't know how busy I am. I have so many responsibilities at work. People are demanding things from me all the time. And, and when I come home, I just want to relax. I just want to veg. I just want to eat dinner and watch the ball game and, and drink a beer. And, you know, I, I just want to, I, I don't have time. You know, I've been translating a few words. Let me translate. I don't have time. I don't have time means it's not important to me because whatever else you're doing instead of spending time with your spouse and praying with her, that's what's important to you. Stop kidding yourself. Right. Second excuse. She's the spiritual one. Deacon, I heard you say that the woman represents this beautiful inner life of God by analogy, this beautiful inner life of God. And she's the very heart of God's love. And all that is true. But men are the priests in their homes. Right. And, and the main job of a priest to offer sacrifice, to give his life and to die to himself every day in loving communion and sacrifice for his bride and for his children or for, for Father Dom and for other priests, for his bride, the church. Right. And for her children who are under his care as pastor, as shepherd. Final excuse, I'm uncomfortable praying with my wife. You know, I have my way of praying. She has her way of praying. We try to pray together. That's awkward. It's uncomfortable. Well, Jesus was uncomfortable. It was awkward for him on the cross. And he prayed for the people who were killing him. Father, forgive them, right? So Jesus gives us the model and the example of how we're supposed to be men of prayer. No excuses. You know, we make time for things in our life that are important to us. And we have to, to, to start off our day by, and like for me, for example, I, you know, I practice what I preach. So I get up every morning. First thing I do, Lord, thank you for allowing me to see the light of another day so that I may give honor, praise, and glory to your most holy name. Every single day of my life. That when my eyes open, I turn that alarm off. First thing out of my mouth before I get out of bed is to recognize that I'm consecrating this day to God. Then, of course, I, I, I say a little prayer at my wife, and then I get up, and I say the office. Um, you know, I, I do matins and lauds together, or wait, what's the monastic names? The uh, uh, office of readings and morning prayer. I do both of those, and then I go to the gym, or I, I go for a, a five-mile uh, walk, and then I, then, I, then I begin my day. And I, I spend time sanctifying the day. So when I'm at, doing for my walk, I do my rosary. Right at noon, I do my chapel of divine mercy. I do uh, a terse sector known. Then vespers, evening prayer, and then Compline night prayer. You know, co consecrating the entire day to God. If I'm able to get the mass, 
I, I do that as well, right? It's beautiful. So the whole day, I create specific times and places, Chapel Divine Mercy, throughout the day spread out. So I'm sanctifying that day and making that day holy. Uh, if the more we are driving your car, for example, what are you listening to? Listening to stupid political talk radio? Or what about listening to something that's going to make you go deeper into your faith? That's going to bring you closer to God. That's going to build yourself up as a man to help you to understand your responsibilities. Because remember, God has allowed men to borrow his sacred name, Father. God has been mm. Father from all eternity. And he allows us to borrow that sacred name, Father. With that comes an obligation and responsibility that we will be held accountable to at the end of our life when we stand before God. He's not going to hear our excuses for why we could not live the fatherhood in the way that he called each of us to live it, right? There's three. There's the priesthood, like Father Dom and others. There's the the the, the biological fathers and the covenant relationship of marriage, right? The 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 of, of matrimony, like what we're in, but it's also the the single men, right? The the men that's called the the, the, the celibacy, uh, and they live their their priesthood by being witnesses and examples of what it means to be an authentic man within the culture today. So the culture doesn't default to that stupid Gillette commercial, the best a man can get, which sets the bar for manhood, like. The sets the bar really low down here. No, the bar has to start up. The bar has to start up here. You know, and we and we have to have something to reach for as men, right? So, so this is how we start the process of building that that beautiful armor of God. We have to start with with repairing and building our hearts, and along with that, the sacrament of reconciliation. We have to because if Satan's trying to destroy our hearts through pride then we have to restore our hearts to the sacrament of God's incredible divine mercy and the sacrament of reconciliation. I have an alarm on my clock that's set for the 18th of every month. And that alarm clock goes off in the 18th of every month. So up, oh, uh, time for reconciliation, time for confession. You got to go, you know? And, uh, you know, and, and when I go to confession, I turn the alarm off and, it, and it's reset automatically for the 18th of the following month. You know, so, so little things like that make a big difference in our lives as men. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I just want to take a quick break to thank one of our sponsors, which is Tan Books. Tan Books is a family-owned traditional Catholic publishing company whose mission is to help people become saints. They believe it is their duty to preserve and promote the spiritual, theological, and liturgical traditions of Holy Mother Church, especially in challenging times. At Tan, they offer a wide variety of resources to help individuals on their journey to holiness. With over 1,000 titles ranging on topics from theology, scripture, church history, and even books designed just for men. TAN aims to provide valuable knowledge and guidance that can help strengthen your faith and inspire spiritual growth. Join Father Dom and myself on this journey to become saints. Visit TANBooks.com and be sure to use the code MANLYCATHOLIC at checkout to get 15% off your order and also help to support the podcast. Together, let's strive to become saints, aligning our lives with the teachings of the church and fulfilling our mission to bring Christ to the world. Thanks for listening. And let's get back to that episode. That uh, what you said, Deacon, about father, and that we borrowed that. We borrowed borrowed that. That I've never heard that before. That was 
that really hit me hard, you know, and, and like you said, too, we are going to be held accountable. You know, I remember Father Domi, we did an interview with Jesse Romero, and he said, you, you know, there, there's a lot more men in hell than women. And it, basically because of that reason that you just mentioned is because we are responsible for Father Dom is responsible. You know, Bishop Wachowiak here in Grand Rapids, he is responsible for all these people. You know, and too many men. You know, we we're we're the um, we're neither hot nor cold. We're we're lukewarm. You know, we're just kind of coasting through life, and you know, we we think, oh, you know, I'm I don't really do anything that bad. You know, and you know, so what? I want to come home and you know, sit down, watch some TV. It's fine. You know, it's not like I'm hurting anybody. But we we have this 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 complacency, this laziness, this slothfulness, if you will, that. You know, we're just kind of close on, you know, you're fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. But but no, like there's like we mentioned, there's this battle going on all around us. And Satan loves the complacency, you know, and we need more men like you. And one of the reasons we're doing this, is because we we need this spread to so many more men that you you have to step up because Satan is there. He's constantly circling your house. He's looking for an opening. And if you allow him that, he will take full advantage in you will be in a, you know, you'll be in a, a whole heap of trouble at that point. So, you know, and I don't mention too prayer. You know, we, we talk a lot about that. And and I, I wish I had my rosary here because in the talk that I, I was listening to, you gave analysis of, yes, or, um, yeah, there you go. Perfect. But you, you compared it to, well, now I just feel like no, it's, it's I'm, hey, we're, we're, I'm, we're, now I'm slacking yeah, here. Check out my weapon. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> But Check no, you can carry it. You can have the book too, man. Got another book. Okay, yep. well, I do That's have the it. book. I do have the book as well. But uh, but you compared it to David's sling when he yes. defeated Goliath. And yes. I oh I, I love that. Oh, that's can you, a great story. Can you yeah, can you break that down for our audience as well? And do I sure. I, I never heard that as well. That was amazing. Sure. And and, and they, again, this came to be in adoration, right? We talked about prayer. And, and let me just say a quick word about adoration, because we're we're focusing, you know, on the Eucharist, right? Uh for in, in, at least here in the United States, we're focused on the Eucharist for, for three years. And, and let me just give a little plug for adoration. Why is adoration so important? Because you can pray anywhere. You can pray in your house. You can pray in your car. Why do I have to go and and be before the exposed Lord in the Blessed Sacrament uh, when I can pray anywhere? Good question. So when I'm traveling, I call my wife, right? I call, call I, and, and often I like to use FaceTime or Skype or something. Why? Because I like to see her when I talk to her, but I'd rather be with her. Isn't it always better to be in the presence of the person that you love when you're talking to them? That's what adoration is. We say, oh, Jesus, I love you. You're the center of my life and all this stuff. But we don't want to spend time with them. Imagine I said to my wife, oh, I love you, honey. I love you more than anyone. I've loved anyone in my whole life, but I want to spend any time with you. <laughs> Are you nuts? That, there's no way that's going to work. Well, my, I, my argument is the same thing in adoration. We're before the living God body, blood, soul, divinity, pouring our hearts and our lives out to him. And so this David and Goliath came to me in adoration as I was reflecting on the word of God. In fact, all my homilies are written in adoration. All my books, I, I read my books the, the, uh, and edit them in adoration because I want to mm. make sure what comes out of my mouth is not what Deacon Harold wants to say, but what, what the Lord wants to say through 
the 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 weak instrument of Deacon Harold, right? And, and so so in thinking about David and Goliath, right? So David wasn't even supposed to be there in the battle, right? Uh, the reason he was there because his father uh, Jesse wanted intel on what was going on with the war because his brothers were ready to fight. So he gets there and he hears Goliath issue the challenge um, uh, twice a day for, for 39 days. And David shows up on day 40, right? And that number 40 shows up a lot in the old, in, 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 well, actually in the whole Bible. So 40 days and 40 nights in the ark, 40 years in the desert. Um, Elijah, 40, running 40 days in the desert. Um, uh, Moses getting the Ten Commandments, 40 days. Christ, before he started his public ministry, 40 days. 40 for the, the Jewish people was the number of gestational weeks in a pregnancy. It represented a time of trial and testing and waiting because after that period of 40 days, weeks, years, God is going to do something, right? So David shows up on day 40. He hears Goliath issuing the challenge. Are we going to stand here and let this uncircumcised Philistine mock the armies of God? Who's going to do something? And no one wanted to fight. So David says, I'm going to do it. So he goes to Saul and says, Saul, I want to fight Goliath. Saul thinks it's ridiculous because this guy's going to kill you. You're just a kid. And David said, you know, yeah, I'm just a kid, but you know what? I, I want to do this. So that he makes his only mistake. He puts on the, the armor of Saul, right? And and when you look at the description of Goliath in 1 Samuel, 16, in 1 Samuel 17, it says he had a helmet of bronze on uh he had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. He had uh you know uh the the, the uh greaves upon his legs. He had a spear in his hand, his shield bearer. And when you look at the description of of David putting on Saul's armor, he had a helmet of bronze on his head. He clothed himself with a coat of mail. It's like he looks like Goliath. But then David takes those clothes off because he realizes, you know, uh I I can't go out with these because he realizes you cannot defeat the Goliaths in your life with the weapons of man. So instead, he goes into his shepherd's bag or wallet. He goes to the brook. He takes five smooth stones, puts them in his shepherd's bag or wallet. It takes a sling and he and he rushes toward Goliath. So in his shepherd's bag or wallet, he has a sling and five five smooth stones, right? A sling and five smooth stones. So I think that sling is a type, we talk about biblical typology, um, we talk about the, uh, the the senses of scripture, so allegorical, tropological, anagogical, this is an allegorical or a typological image of, I think, the rosary. So David's sling, and five, is the sling, right? And the five stones, you look at the Our Father beads, right? They represent each of the five joyful, sorrowful, luminous, and glorious mysteries of the Holy Rosary. So I think hmm. David fought Goliath with a type of rosary. Now, when he goes to face Goliath, what does Goliath say to him? Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? So when we begin to face the Goliath in our life with the weapons of God, that Goliath who's very comfortable in our lives, who, you know, who's, who fills us with fear. He fills us with so much fear that we cannot take our relation with God to that next level. We can't take our relationship with our wives, with the church to that next level because we're stuck and we're comfortable and we're scared. You know, first John 419, perfect love casts out all fear. David teaches us that we have to love more than be afraid. And what does David say to him? You come to me with sword and javelin and spear. I come to you in the name of the Lord. 
What did we say at every holy mass? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So we say the same things that David said to Goliath at at uh, at every mass, you know. And and what David ends up defeating Goliath. He says that all in Israel may know that there is a God who who defeats not but with the sword, not with the spear, right? Because because uh, it, it, God is with us. God is on our side, not with the sword, not with the spear. Because the battle is the Lord's. David understood that God fights with him and for him. And we need to understand that we are not alone in this battle to, to protect our minds and our hearts from the forces of, of evil, and the forces of Satan and death, that God has given us weapons, spiritual weapons that we need to pick up and we need to fight in order to save ourselves, our own souls, our families, our, our, our cultures, our communities, and our, our entire world and our church. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know any man who would, who would not love hearing these words. You know, we're talking about fighting, we're talking about defending and service and, and protecting, and, and every single man is called to that. You know, Deacon, like you said, you know, raise the bar up here. This is, and we want that challenge. You know, so we use this language, and I, I, I know it has to set men's hearts on fire. And, uh, you know, James, you talked about, you know, Jordan Peterson and all these other maybe secular speakers that may be somewhat, you know, conservative or a little Christian bent or whatever. Uh, you know, they talk about that battle. They talk about, um, uh, the language that we're using and it's attracting men, like so many men go listen to Jordan, Jordan Peterson. Right. And I bet a lot of men, right. Come to you deacon and listen to you as well. Uh, the language that we use is powerful. When we talk about battle, it's like that, that's what men are made for. That's what we're designed for to do that. And I think it calls to our hearts. It kind of dusts off our hearts and polishes it up and gets it ready for battle. And you're like, wow, this makes sense. Like I am built for this. I am drawn to this. I want to rise to the challenge. I want to protect my bride. I want to protect my friends. I want to become holy, right? I want to hunger and thirst and have that fire for Christ. We talk about all these tools that we use, you know, individually as well. Um, I, I think it's important to touch on, you know, that brotherhood and fraternity because uh, men, we can't fight alone. Iron sharpens iron and we are our brother's keeper as well. So we need to find those good Catholic groups, right? Those good Catholic men um, that that help us along this this path as well, too, because we can't we can't fight the battle alone. Because Satan wants to divide and conquer, right? He's one of chaos. He's one of uh, deception, you know. So when we stick together, um, he's he's even more afraid of men. When we stick together and we follow Christ, uh, we're we're pretty much unstoppable, and that's what Satan is most deathly afraid of. I think men, a man yeah, on fire, absolutely, men on fire for God. He's deathly afraid of that. You know, that's why he went after Adam. Well, he didn't even go after Adam first. Like Adam wasn't even there. And he's like, oh, great. I just get to go right into Eve. But yeah, you no know, men want to rise to that challenge. And, and it's good to hear you hear you speak the truth like that, Deacon. Yeah. So and you're, you're absolutely right, Father. And, and the thing about it is this, we look at the armor of God, right? He talks about the gourd your loins. Breast pray of the righteousness, helmet of salvation, shot your feet with the gospel of peace. So, you know, shield of faith. You have all these different parts. But when you look at it, what's the only part of the body that's not protected? When you go through and you look at this, and you could even Google this, a picture of a Roman soldier's uniform during the time of Jesus. The only part of the body that's not protected is the back. The back is open. Why? Because the, in the formation that the Romans fought in, they, they, Accounted on the person fighting next to you to protect your back. That's where we get the expression, I got your back from. It comes all the way up to the time of the Romans. And so, yes, we 
who, so as a man, you're not in this alone. Who has your back? Remember, even Jesus couldn't carry his cross by himself, right? Simon Cyrene helped him carry the cross. Yeah. You know, so, so what makes you think you could do this by yourself? We need other men, but we need other strong men. We need men that are willing to, 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 to go into that battle. And people like Padre Pio understood this and Louis de Montfort understood this and John Paul II, uh, great saints of the church, they all understood the power of picking up your weapon and fighting for truth and beauty and goodness, fighting for the future of our families, fighting for the future of our church. And we men have to be the ones to be in that lead to stand in front, to, to face the challenges that, that are coming at us. You want to get to the church? You got to come through me. Huh? That should be our attitude. Amen. Yeah, I mean, gosh, there's so many. I have about a thousand more questions for you, Deacon, but an hour has already flown by, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. But, you know, just kind of wrap up, Deacon, maybe some parting words of wisdom for our listeners there, especially for the men. You know, how can they step up, you know, in this time of, of dire need for the church, for their families, and, and, and actually fight back? Yeah, so first of all, you have to have the desire to do that. And the desire to do that comes from prayer. Desire to do that comes from putting your pride aside, right? It, it comes from um, um, uh, putting por- uh, putting pornography completely out of your life, which destroys your heart. And being around, and that all happens by being around other like-minded men. You must join the men's group in your parish. If you don't have one, start one. You know, uh, I'm on a call every month with deacons from all over North America, and we're finding uh, we're, we're we're we've been meeting for over a year, and we're putting together ideas of how deacons can come uh, as men, and many of them are husbands and fathers, but how we can come together to bring men together in a parish to really enliven that parish and put that parish on fire with the love of God, with the men leading the way in the parish. Uh, so being a real man means embracing the cross we've been given with love. Because it's in that cross, in the image of the crucified Christ, that we discover why we exist at all, right? It's in the Eucharist that will give us the most, uh, that give us the best answers, the most difficult questions in our lives can be found in Eucharistic adoration. That's where I got my calling, uh, you know, uh, not only for the diaconate, but to leave my career and start speaking and writing full time which I've been doing now, again, since 2012. I mean, to have the courage to do that, to leave a 23-year career behind, all the security that comes with that, knowing that God has a different plan, that God has something better. And I tell you, my only regret is I should have done it sooner. <laughs> I should have trusted God sooner. But it took yeah. me a year because I was afraid. What about the paycheck? What about this? What about this? And God has, has done so many amazing things in my life and the life of my family uh, because of, of what he's called me to do. And every man wants that for his life. There's a reason and a purpose why you exist. Don't listen to the atheists where there's no difference between you and a piece of paper, you know, just a different rearrangement of random molecules. No, there, there is what's called a teleology. There's a purpose and a reason and a meaning for why you exist as a man. God has a purpose for you and only you that he's given to you. And remember the parable of the talents. God wants to take what he's given us. Don't worry about what somebody else has. Worry about what you've been given by God and multiply those talents because where's God's going to ask, where's my 30-fold, 50-fold, 100-fold return 
on the investment I made in you as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a deacon, as a priest. Where is the return on the investment I made in you? Because that, the, that's the only question we're going to have to ask, answer when we die and stand before God, right? What did we do with what he gave us? Remember, we just can't take it and bury it. God is a wise investor. He's invested in every single one of us. He wants a return on his investment. And I would finally, I would say, stay close to the Eucharist. Stay close to the Eucharist. This is my body given for you. As men, we have to say, this is my body, my life broken and given for you, my wife and my children, for you, if you're a priest, the church, for you, culture and society, if you're a single man. So it's the cross that leads us to the Eucharist because the cross is the meaning of sacrifice. The cross is the meaning of love. And that's the example of how we're supposed to love as men. Amen. Amen. And I'd probably add yeah, confession every month, too. I know you mentioned that earlier as well. The sacrament of reconciliation is is always a good place to start for all of you men who may be like, I don't know where to start. I mean, obviously, you mentioned adoration and the Eucharist, but confession as well. well Remember, Deacon, Jesus fell three times, and he got yes. up and kept going. We are going to fall, men. We're going to fall. It, it, it's, it's heavy. The cross that we have to bear as men is heavy, and we are going to fall. But Jesus gave us the sacrament of reconciliation. If we cooperate, here's the key, to cooperate with the grace of the sacrament gives us the strength to get up and to keep moving forward as men. Amen. 100%. It's never if, it's just when. We're always going to fall. Well, Deacon, where can our listeners find out more about you? I'm not going to lie. Your book, Behold the Man, is one of the first books I always recommend to men who are looking for resources for uh, Catholic spirituality, masculinity. It's a fantastic book. I always recommend it. So where can uh, our, our audience learn more about you? Yes, I made it really simple. DeaconHarold.com. <laughs> Every, everything is there. You get, you get a free, there's tons of free resources, all kinds of media stuff. My social media is there. Uh, articles that I've written that totally free. Interviews, everything is there, as well as a store if you want to purchase some, some things. But, but there's tons and tons of free stuff there. If you want to see where I'm going to be speaking, my schedule, upcoming schedule for the next year or two years, whatever it is. I think I'm booked out now for the next two years. But, um, Ooh. so go on my website, look at my schedule and, and everything's there. DeaconHarold.com. Wonderful. Well, Deacon, this has been an absolute pleasure. We'll have to have you on and hear the whole Absolutely. story of your conversion, or not conversion, but to your, your call to the diaconate. I think that's going to sure. be a, a fascinating story as well. But before we let you go, Father Dom, would you mind just giving us and our listeners a final blessing, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let, us, let us end with the prayer that uh, Christ taught us so long ago. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this Give day us our day daily, daily bread, bread. and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. Deacon, thank you again so thank much you. for your time. Thank you all Appreciate for listening. It. And on fire, thank you.
Yes, yes you're most 100%. welcome. Thank you both for having me. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, go out there and be a saint. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of The Manly Catholic. If you have not already done so, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. It will also help grow the show and reach as many men as possible. We truly think this podcast can change families and help men to change the world. Thank you again so much for tuning in and God bless you.